Open with me uh, your copy of God's Word to Luke 24. We're going to work through this passage this morning. It's an exciting passage of Scripture. While the uh, choir is getting their seat, I, let me just make one more quick announcement. I forgot to say, last week we did not have discipleship classes because of um, our uh, election of ruling elders. But we do have them this morning, and I hope you'll uh, check one out if you haven't done so. Um, in my class, I'm excited about it. It's Revelation chapter 20 is what we're starting on. And we're talking about the binding of Satan. That's a pretty big subject. Next week, it's the millennium. Uh, after that, the two resurrections. It, was, it reminded me of it, of it in Jonathan's prayer. Uh, to think about the resurrections that are there in Revelation 20. Um, I know the Genesis class is just as exciting. And uh, so check out one of those. The young adult class uh, still meeting. And uh, so uh, encourage you to check out one of our classes. This morning, Luke 24, um, it is the story that Jesus gives us revealing himself um, to his people right after the resurrection, and it's interesting to me as I read this account how God reveals himself as surprising, startling, frightening, uh, let me just show it to you. As, as we look at it, I, I won't take the time, as I normally do, to read all the way through it and then come back through it piece by piece. Let's just kind of jump into it. Let me read the first four verses. On the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find. In other words, they were expecting to find. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, they were perplexed. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. I mean, already you begin to get the picture. This is a surprise. It's startling to them. They expected to find a body, and they don't find one. I mean, these were the women who were coming to embalm the body of Jesus. They had watched Jesus die on the cross. They had seen the spear go into his side, him lay lifeless uh, on the earth. A couple men come and wrap him up, literally in a body bag, carry him to the tomb. They look to see where he was because they were coming back to do the embalming three days later. So, surprising. When they go to unzip the body bag, that there's no body. That's the way God revealed himself on this resurrection morning. It's a surprise. And then look in verses 9 through 11. So these women, uh, they run back to tell the disciples, verse 9. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And they were, so now we know who, who was there, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women. So there's a group of women there with them were telling these things to the apostles. But the words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. It's like, this is nonsense. It's like, nobody? What? That's nonsense. We were all there. We watched Jesus die. We watched him get carried away. A stone was pushed in front of the tomb. Roman guards were put beside the stone. There's no way what you're saying to us is real. It's nonsense. 
It would be surprising if it were, but it can't be. It just can't be. Interesting, too, that Jesus had taught the disciples before he was crucified. He says, I will be crucified. I'll die. I'll be buried. I'll be raised again. He had taught them this, but now when they're to that moment, it's like, uh, uh, not the way we saw him die, not the way we saw destruction take place. No one comes back from that. That can't be true. Well, that's the first two testimonies. Another one, verse 22. This is testimony of, of uh, two people on the way back home, really, the way to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. And uh, verse 22, but also some women among us. So they're, we're just kind of jumping in the middle of that story. I'll get back to it. Some women among us amazed us. See again the word. Just surprised us, amazed us. These women, when they were at the tomb early in the morning, I mean, what they're saying can't be true, can it? It's just, it's too amazing that something like this could have happened. And then Jesus takes us down to the larger group, all the way down to verse 36, when Jesus shows up for all of the disciples. Verse 36, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. Notice their response, verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thought they were seeing a ghost, a spirit. And he said, why are you troubled? Why are you our doubts arise in your hearts. See my hands, my feet. It's me. It's myself. Touch me. See me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Then he also asked him, said, you know, ghosts don't eat fish, do they? Give me some fish. Watch me eat. Just unbelievable to them. Verse 41, and they still could not believe it because of the joy and amazement. Couldn't believe it understanding you know unexpected surprise a huge difference you know as I thought back on my own experience the day it was a Thursday evening for me I was at a camp people were preaching and teaching and sharing testimonies and singing songs as we've heard and hear and as I was listening and hearing all of that testimony about Jesus one night Jesus showed up in my heart and it changed everything for me right then at that moment I knew my sins were forgiven I had heard of the righteousness of Christ being applied to my life that though I die I would one day arise and quite frankly I didn't see it coming I was a little startled. I was frightened. What just happened to me? My life forever changed. And there's, I think, a time for all of us where there's a little bit of a struggle when Jesus shows up for us to really embrace and believe the truth of who Jesus is. That's what happens here in the book of Luke 24. Christ shows up and he reveals himself as the resurrected Christ. He reveals the relationship he has with us here and he reveals his revelation. I want you to see those three things all very surprising to us about our God. Um, now, if you wanted to create a religion, 
that was really successful. And everybody would want to join, right? And everybody just was excited about it. All you would need to do is find a leader who had power over death. Power over the grave. Power over sin. If you could find such a leader who could promise you that if you believed in him, all you would have to do was believe in him and you, though you die, would live. The grave wouldn't hold you. Sin wouldn't hold you. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Ha! Nonsense. That's what they were saying. Nonsense. Mm, I struggle to believe that's possible. And yet that's what we see happening in this text. Wouldn't that be something if it were true? Well, you know, if it's not true, we might as well be Buddhist or Islamic or Presbyterian or something. Something other than Christian. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Joe began us down this path earlier. It's a great passage on the resurrection. I want you to pick up the story in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning at verse 14. It says, If Christ has not been raised... Our preaching's vain. Your faith is vain. So it all comes down to this. If Christ has not been raised, if he doesn't have power over death, what we're doing is worthless. We might as well be something else. Verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses. You know, we're selling people a false goods if Christ is not raised. We're telling the wrong story. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ when he did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only. We are of all men most to be pitied. It comes back to the resurrection. Did Christ really rise after that terrible destruction that he went through? Uh, could Christ really die? Did he really die? It's a surprising dilemma, and the people in Luke 24 are struggling with it. Did it really happen? Could it possibly happen? I want to kind of zero in on the two people on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Uh, beginning at verse 16. Let me just read most of that story for us. Luke 24, beginning at verse 16. There are two people on the road here. Verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. What that means is Jesus starts walking with these two people who are in Jerusalem. They're walking back home to Emmaus. And Jesus starts walking with them. But their eyes were prevented at this point from recognizing that this is Jesus. Verse 17, and he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, 
named Cleopas answered and said to him. And by the way, I think um, we won't have time this morning, but if you went to John 19, I think it's verse 25, and looked at um, who was at the cross, there was, there was a man named uh, Cleopas or Clopas and his wife Mary. So I think the two people on the road uh, back to Emmaus is probably Cleopas and his wife Mary. So husband and wife, they're talking about what they've seen, what they've heard as, as they're going back home. And Jesus is, comes alongside and starts walking with them. And so they answer Jesus when he's asked, what are you talking about? Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered and he said to them, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? And unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? It's like, everybody knows this. I mean, where have you been? Verse 19, and, and he said to, him, to them, what things? So he's, he's begging them on to see if they really understand what they're talking about. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word and sight and of God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the evening. They didn't find his body. They came and they said, uh, were saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just like the women had said. But him they didn't see. Wow. Stop and think about that a little bit. These two, Cleopas and Mary, they didn't believe yet. They said, we're amazed by what we're hearing. We heard angels say, he's alive. The women said, he's alive. It, but it's amazing, isn't it? it? We were there. We were at the cross. We saw darkness cover the land. We saw blood drip from his veins. We heard him cry out. We saw the spear go into his side. We saw blood and water pour out. We saw a lifeless body on the ground. We saw the Roman soldiers declare, yeah, he's dead completely. We saw all of that. It's just, it would, it would be amazing if he were alive. How could that be? Uh, it was hard for them to believe. What accounts for their faith? When, you know, they, they finally get faith. What accounts for it? Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. What accounts for their faith? The only thing that accounts for the resurrection of Christ and faith in the resurrection of Christ is the fact of the resurrection of Christ. Christ showed up. He appeared to them. And when he appeared to them, it's like it's undeniable fact. He who we saw was dead is in front of us, breathing, alive. Amazed, but blew them away. They were slow to believe. They needed proof. They get proof. 
You know, it was interesting. They, they had proof. Even before Jesus showing up, look at verse 27. This is speaking about Christ. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he he started walking them through the Bible about how Jesus would come and provide a way for people to be saved. And he explained himself all the way through the scriptures for them. They were slow to believe the prophets. They were slow to believe the angels. They were slow to believe uh, the women. Verse 45 is, is another verse that talks about the scriptures. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So God brings them back to the scriptures. But it wasn't until Christ was risen, verse 30, they see him face to face, verse 31, as Christ, that he's risen indeed. And the same thing for uh, the rest of them, verse 33, 34. So when, when they got up that very hour, so we're still talking about Mary and Cleopas. They got up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. It's like, this is too good. You can't keep this to yourself. We got to go tell the disciples too. So they, they go to tell the disciples Verse 34, saying, the Lord is really indeed arisen and has appeared to Simon. So it's like they burst in the room and the disciples are saying, Jesus showed up to Simon. He must really be alive. And then Cleopas and Mary come in. He's alive indeed because he showed up to us too. He's risen. He's risen indeed. How do you know? We talked to him. We've walked with him. He's read the scriptures to us and explained them to us. He's really alive. Christ shows up to the angels. He shows up to the women. He shows up to the apostles. He shows up to Cleopas and Mary. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, you see he shows up to Simon, I mean, uh, yes, um, Cephas and Peter and James and others. Christ just keeps showing up. You know, I, I, I liked that they were slow to believe. The more I thought about it, I liked it. I liked that they were amazed. They were startled. They were frightened. There was this rumor going around that the disciples, what they were going to do once you put Christ in the tomb, that they were just going to steal the body and pretend like he was alive. So they could keep a religion going. But that's not the testimony you have of one single disciple. When the body's missing, not there, they say, really? How could that be? That's, that's not possible for the body not to be there. And when they said, but he's alive, I'm not sure that's true yet. I, I've got to have some faith. I've I got to have some facts to believe in. And they struggle with it all the way along. Until you get to the conviction he's alive because he shows up. And they can see him. And they can touch him. They can feel him. They can eat with him. They can go through the scriptures with him. He's real flesh and blood in their midst. And it 
wipes out every theory that he's not alive. Yes, he is alive. And then notice their final struggle. Uh, verse, where is it? Verse 41. So after he uh, says, look at my hands and my feet, verse 41, they still could not believe. And it's because of, notice two things, two reasons. Their lack of faith at this point. Joy and amazement. The two reasons for not getting it. Number one, it's too good to be true. It's too joyful. It's too good. It's because of joy. If, if, if Christ were raised... That would give us unbelievable joy. That would just be too good. Because if he's raised and everything he says is true. If he's raised, he pardons. He forgives. He has mercy. He told us when Lazarus died that if we believed in him, though we died, we would live. So that's going to happen. That's, that's too good. It's, it's too joyful to believe. You ever have something that's just too good to be true? That's what they felt. And then second reason, not only is it too good to be true, brings us too much joy. But secondly, it's too great to be true. We would just be amazed, overwhelmed with amazement. Because if it's really true, I mean, Christ is our substitute. He has died in our place. Our sins are not held to our account. He died to take them himself. He took the wrath of God for us. Oh, that would be amazing. The resurrection of Christ came to them as fact. Too good to be true. Too great to be true. Brought them nothing but joy. And amazement. Let's stop and apply that a minute. Think about it. Based on what we know here, it is our responsibility to believe in the resurrected Christ. It's your responsibility to believe in the resurrected Christ. If you don't see Christ as raised, you have no hope. You will live your life foolishly. You will live your life suffering with no hope. It's your responsibility to believe that Christ takes your sins and can take you from the grave to the glories of heaven. Wouldn't it be senseless, foolish for, for God to create you and me, place us on earth for a miserable amount of time, and then just let us go. What's the point? Wouldn't it make a whole lot more sense if God made a way for us to be forgiven, cleansed from our sins, and taken up to glory, just live with him forever? And God has made a way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. Believe in me. There's no other way except through me to the Father in heaven. It's our responsibility to believe in Christ for life, life eternal. 
You must believe in Christ. If you've not done so, believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of life. He is the only one that can grant you forgiveness and mercy and life eternal. Now, secondly, not only should we believe in the resurrection of Christ, but we should believe in the resurrection of Christ even though it's too good and too great to be true. Even though it brings us too much joy, too much amazement, we should believe in the resurrection of Christ. Christ is satisfied divine judgment. I pray this. I encourage you to pray this. Lord, overwhelm me with the goodness of Christ. Let me see Christ. Overwhelm me. Amaze me with the greatness of Christ. Christ has not only proved time after time after time after time when he was with the disciples that he has all power, all ability for everything in life and in godliness. He could do any miracle. He proved that to them over and over. And they kept saying, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is greatness, this is goodness. And then he goes to the cross and he dies and he's buried, he's entombed. He's locked up. And while he's in the grave, he still does miracles. Christ can not only do it when he's alive, he can do it when he's dead. He can still perform. He can still go to the throne of heaven, get all power and authority. He can return to us, show us himself as the resurrected Christ. Who is like that? Too great. So good. We must believe in the power and glory of Christ, even though it seems and appears too good to be true, too great to be true. Because of the joy, because of the amazement, we struggle, and yet it is reality. Now, let's move a little further from the resurrection to the relationship. I just love this. Verse 31 and 32 of this passage it says, when their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? Their hearts were burning. What does that mean to you? When Jesus was talking to us, weren't we content? Weren't we experiencing warmth and joy in our hearts, wasn't there a relationship that we were, we, were, we were connected, weren't we? We were really feeling it, weren't we? There was an intimacy between us and Christ, and we knew it. We, just, we didn't know how to articulate it at the moment, but it was there. You know, what would you have expected? If you were living during that time and Christ rose. If I were one of those two. I, I would have expected. When Christ showed up. I would have expected something a little more glorious. I would have expected Christ to be a little more exalted. I would have expected a victor. Over death in the grave. 
something powerful and impressive. I would have expected somehow the divinity of God to just overwhelm and remove the humanity of God. And just be blown away by Christ's greatness. And yet he comes to them eating, drinking, and talking, and traveling. Still walking and talking with them along their way. Is there not something warm and nice and friendly about that? That's the kind of God we've got. Yes, he could come to us in all of his glory and power. But he chooses a relationship with us. To be intimate, to be companions. To walk with us and talk with us. And open the scriptures to us. And as amazing and startling as that is, I think it's pretty cool that God would want to talk to you, me, and spend time with us when he's such, so much more glorious and great than we can ever possibly imagine and certainly not be ourselves. Intimate companionship. Second, I want you to see in this relationship an incredible compassion. In verse 37... When it says they were startled and frightened and they thought they were seeing a spirit or ghost. Notice what he says. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your heart? What a, what a question. Jesus comes and he's gripped with their struggles their pains, what they're going through. What, you know, how can I help you with this? You, you're struggling. You, you should believe. I've been telling you this was going to come take place. And why are, you, why are you troubled that it's taken place? Why are you struggling here with faith? Christ is gripped with that. And don't forget who he's talking to. He's talking to people who followed him up until the point of Gethsemane. When the Roman soldiers came and got them, and then what did his followers do? They started deserting him. And he had even told them that. You know, you're all going to fall away. You're not going to follow me. And Peter made a big deal. No, 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 I'm going to follow you. And of course, Peter denied him three times that night. So he's talking to people who have denied him. He's talking to people who have deserted him. And now, after the cross and the grave, he shows back up, and you would think this would be a good time to say, I told you so, you disloyal bunch of sinners. But nothing like that. He doesn't harp on their lack of faith. He doesn't harp on the fact that they sinned, they were disobedient, they deserted, they didn't follow. He doesn't harp on that. He says, you're still struggling. Let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. Let me give you more facts. Like watch me eat fish. Let me, let me do what it takes to remove the trouble. And to remove the doubts. That's our God. After we had deserted him. And then, you know we're all that way. We've all deserted Christ to go sin somewhere. 
We've all done our thing. And yet Christ shows up to deserters and says, why are you troubled? Why are you such a mess? Let me help you with that. Incredible compassion is what we see from Christ. One of the first people that I ever counseled, it was just, they were thrust into my life. Uh, I was in school to, to learn the Bible and become a pastor, and so they, and I was leading a Sunday school class, and somebody in the class said, go, go see David. Your marriage is a wreck, and you, you need to go talk to him. And so this man comes in, and he says, uh, I need to talk to you. I need some counsel. And I said, uh, well, good luck with that. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just uh, trying to read the Bible myself here. I'm not sure I can do much, but uh, I said, you know, I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll listen to your story. And he started sharing. He was, he was a little older than me, and he, he was sharing. He says, my wife's having an affair, and she's running around on me. And she's trying to make me divorce her so that she can get everything. And it's, it's just getting ugly. And I said, uh, hmm, what do you think you need to do? You know, he said, it's got to be something about Jesus, right? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, what would Jesus do? And he said, well, I think Jesus would still be intimate. I think Jesus would still be compassionate. I think Jesus would still be kind. When he shows up in this passage, he, he was talking to sinners and deserters and those who didn't follow. I said, I think that's a good answer. Why don't we go with that? Why don't we come up with a strategy and a plan that when your wife comes home each evening from her job, that you'll just be kind and you'll be intimate, and you'll be compassionate. And whatever she needs, you'll attend to her troubles and take care of her that way. He said, okay. And so night after night as she would come home, you know, she would get mad at him for different things because he's not living life the way she wants him to. And at some point she would just slam the door and go out with the person she was having the affair with. And then she'd come back in drunk and he would still be there waiting for her to say something nice. And she would take her glass and she'd throw it and she'd bust glasses on the floor. And he would get a broom and a dustpan and sweep them up and put them away. Say, that's okay, honey, I'll clean this up. One time she came in, she vomited all over the floor. No, no, no worries, baby, just, just go to bed. I'll clean that up, cleans it up. And just time after time, he was washing dishes, folding clothes, vacuuming, cleaning up messes. And at some, some evening, she came in. And she says, why are you being so nice to me? Quit it. Don't you understand? I am giving my life to somebody else. I don't want you. I want you out of my life. Quit being so nice to me. Why are you doing this? And he said in response, he says, it's not about what you are doing to me. It's about my love for you. I love you, and I want you, and I'm not going to stop loving you and wanting you. She says, why on earth 
would you say that? He says, because that's what Jesus did for me. He kept coming at me with love and tenderness and compassion. When I was startled and frightened and running the other direction. And it's changed me forever. So that's what I'm offering to you. And that's what I'm going to keep giving. And she said, well, I guess I need to know you're Jesus. And it changed their marriage forever. Because of a relationship that was incredibly compassionate and wonderfully intimate. And that's the Christ who shows up from the dead. One who has a relationship with us that's intimate and incredibly compassionate. See also the revelation here. What a message to us who especially those of us who aren't often in our Bibles and reading them. Look at verse 6 and 7. The angels say, he's not here, he's risen. Remember, don't, don't miss it. Remember how he spoke to you? What were they saying? Don't you remember his words? Don't you remember the Bible? Verse 7, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So the angels' message was... You folks need to be reading your Bibles. You, you just need to remember what you've read. Look at verse 25 and 27 through 27. And he said to them, Oh, uh, foolish men, you're slow of heart to believe in all the, the, that the prophets have spoken. It's like, aren't you reading your Old Testament here at this point? And again, it says, Was it not necessary? Does it, doesn't it say this in the Bible, that Christ was to suffer and then enter into his glory? And so verse 27, beginning from Moses... And with all the prophets, Jesus has quite a Bible study with them. If he goes through all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. What do we need from a resurrected Christ? He's given us the scriptures from the angels, from Christ. Verse 30, um, uh, again, you know, notice this. There's something new. Verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it. He began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. That's a communion meal. They remembered when Christ took bread, broke it, blessed it, gave it to them and said, Remember me, my body given for you, my blood given for you. Christ gives them the scriptures. He gives them the communion meal to reveal, to nourish, to strengthen Verse 44 and 45 again. It says, these, these are all my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, it's surprising to me that when Christ comes from the grave, it's like you've gone into the unknown. You've gone beyond what any of us have experienced beyond the grave. You've gone into the throne room of God the Father, received all power and authority. You've returned to us. I would kind of expect something new. Tell me about 
some of that. that. That's new. And what I get is something old. I get the scriptures. And I get communion. We have a world that's always wanting something new. A new program, a new plan, a new science, new data. And Jesus says, no, what you need is old truth. And an intimate relationship of incredible compassion. And he gives us the word and he gives us communion. Which is why we need church week after week after week. Because we have to be brought back to the old word of God. And we have to be reminded week after week of our relationship needs with Christ. We're so prone to run after the new and the great. And miss the true resurrected standard that God has for us here. Surprising. The resurrected Christ wants to do church. Let's talk Bible. Let's talk communion. That's his life with us. That's what fuels us and enables us to live. Do you know him? Surprising. If you want to constantly live a surprising life, the glories of a surprise, our God's a surprising God. Just keep getting in his word. Keep coming to communion and watch how he surprises you time and time again. Through word communion, his relationship with us. And assures us time and time again, he is the resurrected Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making a way for us through Christ, the resurrected one, that through him we might live even though we die. We were all born and dead in our sins. We need life spiritually, and one day we're going to need life again physically. Christ alone has that power, that authority. Father, for those family members, guests, people in this room this morning who are far from God, we ask that you would startle them, that you would frighten them with the truth, that you would show up in their hearts and overwhelm them with a relationship of compassion and intimacy with the living God. We can't change our neighbor, our friend, our family. Lord, only you are the Savior and Redeemer. So we beg of you, change us. Make us yours. Change those that we love. Make them yours. For we seek that mercy. And we seek it in Jesus' name. Amen.